today about talking about Judges chapter 5. And the whole point is this. It's about connecting with God and participating in God's work. You know, kind of like getting on the bus and, you know, getting on that flow and heading. Where is God heading? This is one thing I know uh, from experience. When I'm experiencing, when a, I am an spectator, if I can say that, when I am a spectator, I may see the benefits from a distance, but it's not as personal, it's not as exciting, and, you know, it's kind of like it's happened out there, but not to me. But when I'm a participant and I've chosen to step into the flow of something, my goodness, there's skin in the game, and there's more excitement, and when the outcome is amazing, it really is exciting. And so today we are talking about that whole experience of participating in his work. And we apologize, We've, we're having technical difficulties with the big screen, and so that's why I backed up, so you guys could all see that screen, and that's where you'll get your notes today, okay? I'm glad I didn't leave a lot of blanks. It's good. So guys, are you participants or are you spectators? And the answer to this is, is you can trust God to participate and get on his bus because he is not only amazing, his goodness and character and his desire to use you is going to take you places that's going to be amazing. I guess we could go home. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of the summary of the message for today. So we're going to talk about six reasons why you can participate in God's work with confidence. Let's take a look at those six things. And fasten, fasten your seatbelts because this, this speaker is going to have to talk fast because I have a lot, of, lot to share with you. The first reason is because you can trust God's proven track record. That's right. God's got a track record. And so when you look at, uh, you know, information from a, a business or a store or something on a product or anything, and you check it out, you want to see what's in there or what it's about or what its history or what its rating is. Well, God gets a perfect rating. You can trust him. And so let's take a look at how in Judges chapter 5, the author presents in poetic form, it's, it's the big poetry of the book, how it presents God in all his glory and how you can give him thanks and praise and trust him to get on board. The track record starts like this. On that day, Deborah, and Deborah is an important character, ladies, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinuam, <clears throat> sang this song. When the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves, praise the Lord. Why? Because not everyone's willing to follow and not everyone can be a leader. But when you get them together, some amazing things can happen, and God can use people, and he does use his people to accomplish great things. Now, when God met Israel, he initiated the relationship, and he invited them into his heart and into his flow of ministry and what he was going to accomplish on earth. And they weren't so sure at first, you know, what was going on. And this Barak guy, as we read last week in chapter 4, 
He wasn't ready to get on board because Deborah told him that the enemy is coming, the Canaanite enemies are here, and they're, they're going to destroy us, and we need a leader. We need a captain of this army. God will give you the victory if you will go. You know what his answer was? Well, maybe. His answer was, uh, if, if you go, I'll go. See, he, he put strings attached to it. It wasn't pure faith. He wasn't 100% willing. It was like a contention. Oh, yeah, I'll go if you go. And she said, okay, I'll go, but now this is the deal. You won't get the glory for the victory. Someone else will. And we'll see who that is in a little while. When leaders lead and followers follow, amazing things happen. Praise the Lord. Hear this you kings, listen, you rulers. And here Deborah's talking to all the rulers of the earth, all the kings of the earth, especially the Canaanite kings. I will sing to the Lord. I will sing. I'll make music to the Lord, the God of Israel. And so this lady is a lady of faith. She has faith in God, and because of that, she has hope. And she's seeking God, and she's connected to God, and she's a voice for God to Barak and helping him become a leader who sings. Because some leaders need to just loosen up and recognize if you trust God, there's going to be something to sing about today. There's something positive going to happen. Oh, Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from Edom, the clouds pour down water. What in the world? Okay, if you start up here with Israel today, and you follow their tracks from Egypt, uh, excuse me, there we go, Egypt. Let's see, are you, I got to think how you're looking at this. <laughs> there we go, Egypt. You come up to Edom. And Edom was one of those countries that were powerful and didn't give Israel permission to flow through the land freely. And so they ended up in battles and God gave them victory. And then they moved farther and they came to Seir which is a mountainous area that's defined by the mountain that's there. And God helped them get through Seir and finally come to the Jordan River. And the first generation had died out there in the wilderness, the desert. And the next generation had been born and were raised, and some of them were 40 years old. And Joshua led them across the Jordan River into that promised land. And it must have been just a down on your knees like, I can't believe this is finally happening day. And the author of Judges is taking you in reverse geographically. Okay? Seir, <laughs> Edom, Egypt. And what he's trying to do and what they are thinking in their heads that we now can think with them because we understand the geography is that he's taking them back to Sinai, Mount Sinai, where God first introduced himself to them. When did God first introduce himself to you? You've got a history too. You got a his story in your life. Thank you, I appreciate that. That's why it's in quotes in your notes, right? And so history for you can be God's story unfolding in your life. And that's very important to remember when you're in difficult situations. 
Because you're either going to be passive or you're going to be engaged. And when you remember how faithful and good God is, it gives you the courage to step in to participate rather than going passive on God and on yourself. Now notice it says here, and it's important for what you're going to hear later, it's the Lord, the one of Sinai, not the two, not the three, not the four, not the many gods of Sinai. The one God of Sinai initiated a revelation to Moses and the people and he spoke to them and he revealed himself to them in power that was kind of scary because of how powerful God is and they discovered the real God, the creator of the universe because God initiated a meeting and revealed himself to them. And I really believe that God's in the business of revealing himself to people like you and I. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know him? Are you willing to get on the bus? Are you willing to get on the bus and participate in God's plan and purpose and work? And so, the second thing you need to know that will motivate you is that you need to get back to God's goodness because all of us are wanderers. <clears throat> we wonder about life, and that kind of takes us all over the place wandering. And some of us experimented and, you know, somehow we found our way to God. But the truth is, God let us wander and he finally got our attention and we found him. Yeah. And so finding your way to God is to find your way to pure goodness. That's right. In the days of Shamgar, you all know who Shamgar is, right? Uh-uh, uh-uh. <clears throat> Shamgar is number three judge in the book of Judges. Number three. Before Deborah, she's four, he's three. Shamgar. Shamgar's a really interesting dude in that he um, defeated uh, 600 fighters uh, with this uh, wooden pole that they would use to herd animals, sheep, goats, whatever. And it always had a point on the end because whenever they got stubborn, the point kind of helped them out get the point, and they moved along. And this, so this, this individual defeated 600 people in battle, and that's why he's listed here, Shamgar, son of Anath, so that you would think, oh, wow, God uses some really unusual, weird circumstances to defeat your enemies, and it was in the days of jail. And jail is a person we're going to read about some more today that we talked about last week. Jail's an amazing lady. So ladies, you might keep your ears open. Guys, you can too, but this is jail. And these two people, God used them. They're very unusual. A jail isn't a Jewish person. She's a Kenite. And so she's not part of their people, but nevertheless, God uses her to help further his purposes for Israel. And so that's why these two people are in there. And now it gives the cultural indicators. Uh, should we call this our State of the Union Address for Israel? Okay, State of the Union. Here we go. Oh, by the way, what's your personal state? 
What's the pers personal state of your marriage? What's the personal state of your family health? What's, what's the personal state of your relationship to your parents and your children? And, you know, you can always do some assessment, right? How can we improve here? Well, you've got to recognize what maybe the problems are first, and so let's look at Israel's national problems. First of all, the roads were abandoned. Why? Travelers took to winding paths. I know there's something about violence, there's something about feeling unsafe that just causes you to change your route. Some of you won't travel in certain places in the region, shall I say, just because you're not comfortable. The streets aren't safe. The main thoroughfares aren't safe. And so you go around them, right? And that's what was going on back then. And so people were having to take the really windy routes that took much longer because it was safer, quite frankly. Okay, condition number one. So what else is going on? Village life in Israel ceased. People started distancing and not socializing. We don't know how this affected the economy as to whether it actually affected crops and crop planting because they were an agricultural society, so they did more than just garden. That was livelihood. That was winter food crops, all those sorts of things. And so life in Israel, it says, ceased. It wasn't the same. It made them feel like, how long have we been going through this? Does this sound strangely familiar? Oh, anyway. It ceased until I, Deborah, arose. Arose a mother to Israel. And you know, mothers are important to the continuation of the world. Amen? That's right. And mothers do all kinds of just vital things for us. Well, they love us. We need that. But they're organized. Have you noticed moms... Someone has to. <clears throat> Moms tend to be organized. They tend to plan ahead. They tend to keep a calendar. They tend to think about things. They tend to be looking out for our personal needs when we aren't uh, watching, when we're a little spacey. They're trying to be on it, <clears throat> that sort of thing. Let me not get too personal now. But moms are critical to the functioning of the world and your home and your marriage. And so appreciate them. Love them. Love them back. And she was a mother in Israel, this Deborah lady. She was impressive. And then they chose new gods. What? They chose new gods? What in the world is going on with these people? I thought they were following Yahweh, the God who appeared at Sinai and then took him to, through Edom and then through Seir and then got him to the promised land like he promised. And here they are choosing new gods. It was the one God of Israel, remember that verse? One. And here's the result. War came to the city gates. That's serious business, folks. We don't know that. We haven't experienced that here in Washougal. But this is what happened to them. They decided to follow other gods, and that's what happened. They were polytheists multi-godders, and it was common in the world at that time in the Middle East because they would have a god that they would sacrifice to for rain so the crops grew. 
And then they'd have a God over here for other aspects of the weather and a God over here for uh, marriage. And if they wanted to start dating, they probably offered to another God. And they had all kinds of gods. But it was the one creator God of the world that revealed himself to Israel and now they were going sideways on him. And war came to the city gates. How disruptive. How amazing that God might use something disruptive in my life or your life to draw us back to think about the state of the nation, to think about the state of our heart, our mind, where we're at, what we need to really be thinking about and seeing. These things can be good if they draw us back, if they keep us from wandering and wandering back and wondering not about the confidence we have in God, but wondering why we ever went sideways on God in the first place. And then we're going to talk about shields and spears in a little while, but let's pass that on for a moment. In Exodus 20, we go back in history to Moses talking to the people about God up there on that Mount Sinai. And he said to him, don't be afraid. He could have said to him something like this. Yes, you're seeing lightning, you're hearing thunder, you're feeling the earthquake. It's kind of scary. God is big and powerful and huge. God's come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. Don't take God flippantly, in other words. Take him seriously. He presents himself seriously to you. Take him seriously. But don't be afraid. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. That was the warning that he gave before they got to the destination. Don't go polytheist. Don't go multiple gods. Stick with the one creator God who has revealed himself to you, delivered you, freed you from the army of Egypt, took you through the Red Sea, took you 40 years through the desert, provided food every morning for your day, provided a directional system for you so that you would know where to travel, where to go, and when to go. He's the provider God, and he's the protector God. Don't walk away. Well, in Judges chapter 2, we fast forward to our book that we're in, and what did they do in chapter 2? They forsook him. They, they just walked away from him. They disregarded him. And instead, they served Baal and Ashtoreths, mini-gods, shall we call them. And in his anger against Israel, the Lord handed them over to raiders who plundered them. And so when we fast forward to chapter 5, we understand what happened. Cause, effect. You walk away from God, walk away from his goodness, you're going to experience other things, the opposite. God is good. Engage him. Get on the bus. Don't walk away. You're going to miss out on the goodness. But here's the goodness of God showing up in Judges. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them. That's what this book is about. Yep. When they choose new gods, war came to the city gates. It was predictable. And not a shield or spear, that's right, I promised you we were going to come back to that, was seen among 40,000 in Israel. 
40,000 is apparently those who were willing to volunteer for the army. A lot weren't. The problem was is that the army had no resources to defend themselves. Essentially, they were a bunch of misfits without the tools. And they were coming against an army that you read last week <clears throat> have 900 iron chariots. I mean, speak of awe, shock and awe chariots. And that's just the chariots. And then you have the masses, masses of soldiers in waves coming across the landscape. And they are out for blood and they want to plunder your land and they want your property and they want everything you have, especially your precious metals. And so this is the state of the union. Weak, but not defenseless. The story continues. Deborah, ladies, look at a leader that this woman is. Deborah, my heart is with Israel's princes. Imagine the courage that the princes took when they heard their commanding leaders say, my heart is with you. With the willing volunteers among the people. Once again, for volunteers and leaders, thank you God. And we're a volunteer organization. When you are a volunteer organization, do you know what it's like to get volunteers? Thank you, God. We love it. And so, just a sidelight for all of you who are serving in many different ways. We praise the Lord for you. We do. Now let's look from a different perspective. Cultural indicators, state of the union. Now let's do class conscious contrast. Well, class conscious. Those who ride on white donkeys. White donkeys are rare. White donkeys are owned by the rich. This, let's see, how would I translate this? This would be kind of like saying, you drove up in a white Maserati or a Lamborghini or a Beamer. Okay, that's your preferred source of travel, right? That's your means of travel. And he's saying, okay, you rich people, sitting on your saddle donkeys. And then he says <clears throat> to people like most of us, the working class, and you who walk around along the road, okay? We don't all get Lamborghinis or Beamers, but we can still walk along the road. So everybody's included here from the rich to the walkers. And he says, consider the voice of the singers. Who's singing? I'm, I'm hearing something. Where are they singing? At the public works department of all places. At the, at the source of the water, the watering places. They're singing. I don't know, I guess shepherds have time to write music. Oh, David, that's right, yeah, shepherds do have time to write music. And it's the voice of these singers singing joyfully about what? They recite the righteous acts of the Lord, the righteous acts of the warriors, the volunteers, the leaders, and the people who volunteered. And then the people of the Lord went down to the city gates because when God 
got some people who were willing. He made it happen. And guess what got restored? Public life and the city gates were open and the leaders began leading at the city gates and commerce began flowing and people began traveling on the highways on their white donkeys and their brown donkeys and their speckled ones and everything started to feel right and good but not the same. Better. Much better. Because when you go sideways on God or when you decide to get on board with God, you suddenly discover that life is good because God is good and you've just got on to the source of goodness. And that's how we can move forward and the city gates can start functioning properly again. So our third motivation is waking up to the opportunity. Have you ever been told to wake up? Have you been sleeping? Wake up, come on. Get with it, wake up. And that's what he's saying here. Wake up, wake up, Deborah. Wake up, wake up. Break out in song. It's time to celebrate, girl. Yesterday in chapter 4, you said, Barak, it's time for us to organize. We got to protect the land, protect the people, protect our lives, protect our wives. Come on, let's get with it. Arise, O Barak. Take captive your captives, O son of Obinoam. Passivity does not win anything. Get active. Then the men who were left came, some from Ephraim, some from Benjamin, some from Macher. Captains, by the way, came from there. I guess they were on the ball. I guess they must have been training up leaders. Hmm, I wonder. From Zebulun, those who bear a commander's staff. Oh, I get it. So you have the captains and then you have the administrators. Got it. We're, we're building a team here. Everybody with their gift, their skill. Issachar with Deborah. Okay, Deborah's got her country, her, or her group of people, I mean, her team. And Barak too. So you have all these different people. And then in the districts of Rumen, there was much searching of heart. What could that mean? Much searching of heart. I think most of you have had a searching of heart. Haven't you? Haven't you all of a sudden had a realization about something and just kind of, huh, huh, kind of a moment? And you're kind of rethinking. You're thinking about your life, your relationships, a relationship, your schooling, your future, something. And, and you just kind of go, what am I doing? Or where am I headed? Or what's this mean? Or how do I respond to what I'm going through right now? What, how am I, you know. And you just have one of those searching of heart moments. And that's what happened to Reuben. It happens to me too. Why did you stay among the campfires to hear the whistling of the flocks? Well, when Reuben received the letter or the messenger or the carrier pigeon, whatever, however, however they got the message, we're going to war, we need help, we need volunteers. <clears throat> he sat around the campfire, he probably discussed it, and they stayed with the flocks. You know how economics can be. Come on, some things are more important than protecting your country. Money, money, money. Hmm. And then it says a little later, there was much searching of heart. But you see, just because you have a searching of heart doesn't mean you make the right choice. It doesn't mean you get it. Many people search and go, oh, I don't want to listen. 
Okay, so my heart's telling me something. I want to do something else. Listen to your heart. Just make sure it's being led by humility with God guiding you. Gilead stayed beyond the Jordan. There was their excuse. Oh, <clears throat> well, we're on the other side of the Jordan. We're, it cost a lot to move our army over there, our people. Uh, hopefully you can take care of it. We'll be praying for you, sort of thing. And Dan, what did the tribe of Dan do? Why did he linger by the ships? Oh, there's an economist for you. There's someone who's money-driven, the materialist. Asher remained on the coast and stayed in his coves because he had international shipping deals going on and he didn't have time to protect the country. So you see, we're seeing some different responses to need. People aren't all volunteers. Some people are passive. Some people are active but withholding, kind of like Barak was last week, right? He kind of did it, but he needed contingent. Yeah, okay, maybe I'll do it. Okay, I'll do it if you go. And then we see this amazing third group. These people laid it on the line. They risked their lives. So did Naphtali. And even on the heights of the field. You see, when the kings come in, they come at the back and they usually go to the high points so they can watch what's going on in the battlefield. And they also have special forces right with them in case somebody gets through to them. And so the last place of military action is usually on the heights. And that's where it takes courage to go because if you make it there, that's a miracle in itself. In your notes, you can see there's three different kinds of people. Some have no faith, some have a little. These guys have a lot. And when you move forward by faith, God moves us forward together. It's important that it be with God moving us together. We're a team, we're his family. We're not a bunch of independents. We're his family and we work together. We're supposed to love each other, serve each other, and that involves a lot of volunteer stuff. He moves us forward. Kings came. They fought. The kings of Canaan fought at Tanakh by the waters of Megiddo. But they carried off no silver or plunder. Strike one against the Canaanite kings. They didn't get what they wanted. Straight up front, they didn't defeat them. That's especially what the armies were trained for. There's going to be plunder for you. You fight hard, you live on, you can be the pure materialist that we've trained you to be. Yep. Strike one, no plunder. Strike two, against the Canaanite kings. From the heavens, the stars fought. You see, these uh, kings came from astrological societies. That is, they got their direction from their individual gods, and one of them arranged the stars. So they read the stars. They read their daily uh, star reading, right? And that's how they determined a lot of their decisions. But you know what happened on this day? It was a cloudy day. It was a cloudy night. They couldn't read the stars. A storm came through. What timing. Wow, what coincidence. Amazing. But they fought against Sisera. Strike two. Strike three, you got a river. 
Now, last week, you saw the river on this screen. It's very small, and it's kind of like the Washougal in summer. You could walk across it. But there's certain times, very rare times, really, when there's enough rainfall fast enough to make that river come up and go over its borders, over its banks. Yeah, that's right, strike three. The Kishon swept them away. Remember the 900 iron chariots? Iron doesn't float. Can you see the tide? Oh, that's right, it's not the ocean, it's a river. Can you, can you see the change that's taking place here? Can you, can you hear all these coincidences that are happening? Amazing. All this is coming together right at the moment that Barak is coming off the mound down into the, the Jezreel plain. And if you would be standing today right now back up here, up, up at Nazareth, looking down into this broad plain, you would not only see thousands of farms with huge crops growing because the Kishon River is still there and they still use it. And it's one of the things that just happened in the Jezreel Valley. It's so flat and fertile. When, the, when it does flood, it produces great farmland. And what do you know? At the moment of battle, the rains came. They can't read the stars, but they go ahead and they see Barak coming. So they engage and the storm hits and the water rises, goes over the banks, the soil, is becoming soft and the heavy they're sinking they're sinking they're stuck the age old river the river Kishon march on my soul be strong don't give up take courage move forward don't give up God is a God who gives courage to those who feel limited and weak Strike four is the horses as they run off. They had to take the horses of the horse, horses tore off from the chariots because they were bogged in and the horses pulled away. And here we read about them. The thunder, then thundered the horses' hoofs, galloping, galloping, go as mighty steeds. There they go. And last week we read in chapter four, that's what Sisera did at this point. The commander of this army abandoned and took off, ran, because the Israelites saw the turning of the tide because God had made everything happen just right so that they would be able to defeat a much superior force. And strangely enough, in the midst of all of this, the greatest curse is left for a pro-Israelite group. We don't know where this city was. We don't know if it was close to the battlefield or far from it. But we read this, Curse Meroz, said the angel of the Lord. Curse its people bitterly. You're wondering why this harsh word? Because they did not come to the help of the Lord. That's what was expected of them. It was assumed of them. We don't know why. We just know that that's what was expected from God and they didn't come through. And they're the ones that got the harshest criticism of all. But here's a, another motivator. God uses individuals like you and me for his purposes. And we're all kind of different, but yet we have Jesus. We know Jesus. At least I hope you do. 
and he uses individuals that are willing to be used. And now, most blessed of women, be Jael. I told you would come back to her, the wife of Heber the Kenite. That's how we know she's not a Jew. Most blessed of tent-dwelling women. Hmm. And here's what she did that adds to chapter 4. Sisera escapes on foot. He knows of Heber the Kenite. He heads in that direction, and he gets there, and he's apparently greeted by his wife, Jael. And they enter into a conversation. He's expecting well treatment because they're on positive terms as an army and as a country with this individual, this Kenite family. And so Sisera asks for water. Guess what? She gives him milk. She gives him something better than that. She gives him milk. Okay? Does she give it to him in a, uh, a carved wooden rough bowl? Nope. In a bowl fit for nobles, she brought him curdled milk, like cottage cheese. She's taking good care of the guy. And so, yeah, it's... It puts him in comfort zone, and so he's trusting her. And as we read from chapter 4, he takes a nap. And now we have this very poetic picture. What does her left hand do? Because she only has two hands. Her left hand reaches for the tent peg. Her right hand for the workman's hammer. Do I need read on? <laughs> okay. And that was the end of Sisera. Right there and then. Do we know her motive? We don't. I've been searching all week for her motive. Maybe the issue isn't her motive. Maybe the issue is God's sovereignty. This lady, whatever her motive, she ended up being used to defeat the enemy of Israel, thus accomplishing God's purposes. It's called sovereignty, the sovereignty of God. And so here is perhaps the most poetic verse in this chapter. At her feet he sank, he fell. There he lay. At her feet he sank, he fell. Where he sank, there he fell. Dead. Okay, moving on. Another motivator is love. Loving God. Cutting to the chase, it's about loving God. Through the window peered, and this is a, a whole nother lady coming on the scene. This is Sisera's mom. Back home, in her nice home, peering out the window. Longing for her son. Why is his chariot so long in coming? Are they not finding and dividing the spoils? She comforts herself with her own words. A girl or two for each man. What? And so you understand something about that Canaanite culture. disrespect, dishonor. When they conquered an enemy, they abused their families and the wives. It was wrong. 
It was very wrong. And so the prayer of Deborah is this. So may all your enemies, God, perish. But may they who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. And what do you know about the sun rising in its strength? It's consistent, isn't it? You bank on it every morning. I know, you wait for the clouds to clear so you get more sun, but it's there. It's rising. And it radiates its warmth on everybody. And there it is, a prayer for people who love God to be like the sun, consistent, faithful, dedicated, meeting the need. And then the land had peace for 40 years. Follow God, no peace. Resist God, no peace. Your choice. But if you will be bold today and get on board and trust Jesus Christ as your Savior and your leader, you will discover these things. You will experience, oh, I hope you don't experience war, but you'll have victory over many battles that are going on inside you. For some of you, it's your emotions. For some of you, it's your negative self-talk. For some of you, it's your self-doubts. For some of you, it's that relationship that's broken your heart. For others of you, it's the conflict at work, the conflict with a neighbor. Whatever it be, there's many kinds of battles. Most of them are internal. Some of them are external with other people. But God offers you peace no matter what the circumstances going on. And that's what we need today. Do I hear an amen? Yeah, it's good. So I want to shift gears and I want to celebrate in song just as Deborah celebrated in song. I'm not going to be singing the song though. We have some people who are going to come and lead that for you. But we are going to take communion together if you want to get out your communion elements. If you didn't get one, they're still back there and available for you to take. And we are going to praise the Lord for Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died for our sins, rose from the dead, and can give us eternal life and give us victories and peace today. Yes. If you want to know more about Jesus, please come see me after the service, and we hope to see all of you back here next week for some great worship. Have a great week. Bye-bye.